0: Welcome to the Political R&D Podcast. I'm Robbie Krieger-Smith.
1: And I'm Deirdre Mitchell-McLean. We bring political analysis and commentary on events in Alberta and Canadian politics.
0: We discuss policy and look for expert insights into topics relevant to government, policy makers, and issues that face voters. So today we're going to be exploring the topic of media integrity. And there's been a couple of incidents recently that have been a little bit concerning.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And so what's your title for this segment?
1: This segment is entitled Everybody Loves Media.
0: All right. So the First incident that we're going to talk about is uh, Calgary Herald columnist Rick Bell wrote an opinion piece that very much came across as fact-based, stating that Jason Kenney had been digging into the province's books and it looked like the NDP was cooking the books to the tune of $1 billion dollars. And it may be even more.
1: The The fun thing about this, too, is the timing of it. Mm-hmm. Right, because this came out one week after Kenny had cut the carbon tax, which essentially left a $1.78 billion hole in the revenue.
0: Yeah. And so it was widely shared, essentially treated as the gospel. And we all know that Rick Bell Kind of has a reputation as being the UCP stenographer, more so than a reporter. But you expect a certain element of that, particularly from the Calgary Herald, which leans further to the right. But the concern with this column in particular is that as a journalist, he didn't do anything to actually verify or validate that.
2: Uh
0: And so shortly after that, there was a fiscal update that came from the UCP's own finance department that showed that the deficit for the 2018 2019 fiscal year was actually $6.7 billion, which is in stark contrast to the 8.1 billion that the NDP had projected. And so there's been a fair amount of what I would call earned criticism on the part of Rick Bell, because there hasn't been a retraction or any sort of correction that I've seen from the Calgary Herald or from Rick. No,
1: no, I haven't. And now I remember as well, uh, Graham Thompson having a discussion on Twitter one day with someone who was complaining about one of Thompson's articles and Graham said, I'm a columnist. Mm
2: -hmm. So
1: there is, there is that differentiation between them, but as much as I want to lean on Bell for printing it in the first place, uh, yes, he's a columnist, but it's it's actually now that the fiscal year-end has been released, and basically everything that we're assuming that that column came directly from Kenny, right? all the information in it that Rick wrote about came from Jason Kenny. So what I'm more... What I'm not really more concerned about, but what I really wonder is whether or not Rick Bell is looking at that and saying, you know, you're putting my integrity on the line. Like my integrity as a columnist, as, as someone who can shape the opinion of others, can, you know, shape the conversation. And by you giving me false information, like demonstrably false that's that's really where the issue comes with this is that it was absolutely 100% false. So, the CBC article that said the new numbers suggest that Kenny wasn't, or sorry that that the NB that the NDP didn't lie. You know, they quoted Rick's entire article. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched a Global News update as well, and they did the exact same. Thing. They quoted his like they used his entire article. His entire article is bunk, basically, is is what those numbers showed.
0: So if you're Rick Bell, and obviously you've made a career or a living out of creating a narrative that supports the mission of a or the Conservative Party, mm-hmm. and you release this opinion piece that is so blatantly Inaccurate. What's your response to Jason Kenny to the public?
1: See, I'm I'm betting. So I don't think like we haven't seen anything from Bell. I don't think we will see anything from Bell. But I bet Kenny has heard from Bell. Mm-hmm. I, I bet that this is something that's kind of being looked at, or sorry, being uh, addressed behind the scenes, because in order for Rick Bell to continue to have the influence that he needs to have over the general public uh, that I, I don't, I hate to say that anyone might actually think that he's um, uh, unbiased or something, but, you know, in that, even, even as an opinion columnist, if your opinions, if the things that you're writing turn out to be wrong, then people will lose faith in what you're putting out, right? That doesn't bode well either for Kenny or for Rick Bell personally. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I also want to, what did I, what did I call Rick? A, a dodo on demand, <laughs> <laughs> taking Kenny's dictation with his beak. Um, yeah. Like, yeah, you know, he put himself in that position, Absolutely, all of the choices that he's made led him to that point. But there's there's a much bigger problem that that makes for both Rick Bell and for Jason Kenney.
0: I think part of the problem, too, is that in terms of journalistic integrity, opinion columnists aren't new. We know that. Mm-hmm. But... Stating that the NDP was cooking the books and that their projections were off by at least a billion dollars is something that isn't an opinion. It's something that is independently verifiable to be true or not.
1: And it was presented as fact.
0: And it was presented as fact. So that's the concern for me is that when you have a columnist who strays into writing a column that purports to be a fact-based piece of news, Mm -hmm. and that's demonstrably false, it undermines the credibility and the trust that you have in your news sources. And, you know, I'm one of the people that fairly frequently is defending journalists like, well, particularly Emma Graney, because she's pretty balanced and fair, but when it comes to a columnist sharing their opinion, you can disagree with the opinion, you can take different stances. But this, this one for me really stood out as being something that was really concerning where you've got a journalist from whether you like them or not, an organization that is generally considered to be a reputable source. Mm -hmm. That's really crossing that line into disinformation. And It's quite uncharacteristic or abnormal to not see that publication issue some sort of retraction or correction of the record. And for me, it's probably one of the first times that I've ever seen that happen, where a journalist or a publication is proven to have published an untruth and they don't retract or correct the record.
1: Do you think... This just hit me as you were saying this. Do you think the reason that they haven't issued one, and again, why they probably won't issue one, is because in order for them to retract it, whether or not the article is factual, they essentially have to say that Jason Kenney lied to them.
0: I think that that's probably part of it, but at the end of the day, I think they have an obligation to do that.
1: No, I would agree with it, but I'm just saying that that's, again that's the bigger picture right mm-hmm. is is that for Rick to basically say Kenny said this and then to retract it means Kenny lied
0: yeah so the, well, there's a
1: there's a big yeah yeah <laughs> and he did lie <laughs>
0: yep no it's uh you know and to see the spin of his spokesperson Christine Myatt, trying to say well perhaps he misunderstood what we were saying. We were saying the long-term projection or pathway to balance was out by a billion dollars. Like it's some pretty, pretty intense spin there to try and claim that that's what they actually meant. And I don't believe that the UCP's communications team is that inept that they would have left that much gray area for Yeah, for interpretation, but...
1: I'm I'm sorry. Let's quote directly from the article. The NDP lied.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so this is becoming a bit of a recurring theme, though. We're starting to see what would traditionally be objective journalists and news organizations that are starting to now have to retract and correct the record on a fairly frequent basis. So another one, um, Global News National, twice recently has had to retract news stories. Uh, So one of them was about a mixed reception for Prime Minister Justin Trudeau at the Toronto Raptors celebration parade. Uh And they put this tweet out that he received a mixed reaction.
1: That was the same one where Doug Ford was booed.
0: Yes, yeah, and where the general manager of the Toronto Raptors basically just walked by him like he was some homeless guy on the street (laughs) that he didn't want to make eye contact with. It was quite stunning. So then there's this other one that, um, and this kind of ties into another point that we want to talk about, but Global News actually had shared a video that was originally posted by the, we'll call them, third-party advertisers, Canada Proud. And so it was an edited or doctored clip of a video at the G20 summit. Prime Minister Trudeau is sitting between Chinese President Xi Jinping and Brazil's President Jair Bolsonaro. Um, and I'm sure I'm butchering that name. And uh, so they tweeted this out. And Trudeau basically has his back to the Chinese president. And it looks like in the video that they originally showed he reaches out to shake the hand of the brazilian president and the brazilian president turns away and kind of rebuffs him so of course the conservative mps michelle rempel <laughs> shares this immediately Aaron o'toole shares it immediately um which you kind of expect because they're partisan hacks um yeah. saying you know look at how much respect the prime minister has At the G20, he's being rebuffed by all these leaders. And Global News jumps on it and shares it as well, as well as several journalists. Um, There were some student journalists, uh, one in Calgary that's at the Mount Royal University's uh, journalism program, and he shared it. And he actually put together this really interesting tweet thread about how he was duped by it. And even though he doesn't really like Trudeau, He has to, you know, acknowledge his bias and the fact that he was tricked by this. Um, But global news is, again, you know, a reputable news source that should be above making these kinds of mistakes. And correct me if I'm wrong, Charles Adler also shared the video. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. For me, this raises a couple of interesting questions um, that kind of tie back into the whole Rick Bell Calgary Herald thing as well is what is the responsibility of these established media organizations to do their due diligence? And why do you think we are having these missteps where they're putting this stuff out and then having to retract or correct it?
2: Uh,
1: let's, let's start with the first one. What is their, what is their requirement to do their due diligence? Due, 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 oh my God. To do their due, <laughs> their due <laughs> diligence. Okay. So, what is their requirement? Well, it's huge. That literally is their job, right? To to have that reputation that says you can trust us as a news source. Uh, it's that is the number one thing that they should be doing. That yeah. is the minimum that they should be doing before they move anything. Now, I must say as well that original portion of the video and that and that's where the issue actually came in. It I believe it was off of global news. Like it was their video to begin with. But what Canada Proud did was they shortened it enough that all you could see was Trudeau kind of sitting in between both of them, you know, sort of looked over at at the Chinese uh, president. Yeah. Okay. So he sort of looks over and then kind of turns over to uh, uh, Venezuela's president. Brazil. I or Brazil. Um, and I did notice as well, actually, when I think it was Yero Gisbright. Uh, he he put something underneath, uh, maybe Michelle Remples. and he yeah. said, and he said, you know what? This is what I see: is him gesturing. That is actually what I got out of that that really quick uh, video as well. So you saw the gesture, you saw uh, the Brazil president, Brazilian president turn away. I got from it more of a gesture as well. It seemed to me like he was like he was gesturing. Then I saw Yarrow Giesbrecht's thing and I thought, okay, you know, I'm not the only one who saw it. Fine. Um, But I didn't like I didn't really do anything with it. I I kind of looked at it as if it was, um, you know, slightly out of context because it was it was what a three second video Like it was super short, Mm -hmm. but global in their retraction, one of the things that they are not, I don't know, did they retract it or did they just provide more of the context?
0: I I would say, it. yeah, it wasn't necessarily a retraction so much as a correction in that case where, you know, here's the fuller video and the bigger context of it.
1: Yeah. And so, I mean, when you get the the fuller video, what you see is before Trudeau sits down, uh, you had uh, China's president either with a phone and an aide over his shoulder. Like he was very obviously engaged in something else. Right. So when you see that, it kind of seems like, okay. so do you interrupt him? And then he does turn over to uh, the Brazilian president. He does gesture right away. Like, obviously, someone's standing there or sitting there. And then he turns around, the Brazilian president turns around and shakes Trudeau's hand. Mm -hmm. So, again, like, once that was, once you saw the full part of the video. um, And then they also, I believe Global also discussed the fact that the Chinese president and Trudeau were speaking uh, away from everyone else later on. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So... You know, a three second video And this, I mean, didn't this just happen If we want to think back to uh, Let's say the left took this one Out of context Uh, The brief video that was shared uh, The pro-life It was a pro-life rally I don't remember where it was in the States I don't think they're allowed to rally Near the White House But wherever they were down in the States And they were There was that youth group out of or youth group those students from the Catholic high school right again we got this shortened video that made it look like there was something kind of nasty going on there Mm -hmm. so so these like these shortened clips are being used to stir people up and but again yeah when that comes to you know if I and actually, I can't even use myself because I value my integrity online. but you know if if my aunt shares that, honestly, she should have a responsibility too to say, whoops, me a culpa and but a respected organization
0: they, I think yeah. I think this points to a bigger problem with social media and everybody's racing to get a engagement. First. Yeah. But to get out first as well. And so in the race to do that, they're cutting corners. And this is one area that I think, and I've talked about this a little bit before, where I've talked to some people and done some reading with respect to disinformation campaigns and how they started and how this was kind of an issue when radio first became a medium for communication and they went through it with television And I think we'll eventually get to a point with social media where there's going to be some level of regulation and accountability that occurs for making sure that you're putting out accurate content. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think about the CRTC and some of the mechanisms that are there to hold broadcasters accountable for providing truthful and accurate information. And right now, social media is really kind of an unregulated quote-unquote wild west yeah and there's not a lot of there's no repercussions really for putting out false information or information that you haven't verified and so that's problematic because once it's out there as we know with the internet once it's out there it's out there for good right right so i think that you know, the Trudeau government has started to talk a little bit about this in terms of preparation for the election and putting restrictions mm-hmm. on political advertising and whatnot. And although it's highly charged and politicized, I think that's the right thing to do in terms of maintaining the integrity of our systems. And what we'll eventually have to do is have some sort of quasi, quasi-judicial body um, mm-hmm. or regulatory body that's going to be charged with ensuring that particularly broadcast Mm -hmm. outlets aren't sharing false information via their social channels. And then the other thing that's concerning that I'm not so sure how you go about doing some sort of regulation that gets these under check, but these third party advertisers and faux news websites and full disclosure, we pretend to be one of them as well. Um, Mm -hmm but how do you make sure that only factual information is being put out there and being shared, particularly with these groups like Canada Proud or Ontario Proud, et cetera?
1: Well, and that's something um, I actually, I reached out to Susan Wright and Warren Kinsella, um, let's say about two years ago, or definitely a year ago. Whenever it was that I started adding to the end of my blog, uh, you know, whether or not this was just fact or whether or not this was an opinion, uh, whether or not it contained both. And the reason I started doing that is because of some of the other things that we were seeing, right? Mm-hmm. I, Robbie can't really look at ourselves like that because you and I value our integrity.
0: Yep, <laughs> Right. we do.
1: Right. So some of the phone news sites, they're, their agenda is absolutely to move fake news, yeah. right? To, and like I was, I was talking to a gentleman yesterday. It took me over a week. I started this before I got sick. It was, it was when I wrote the article about the Calgary Herald's content works. Um, they're, they're advertising as storytelling things. And what I had noticed from, from that when I put it together, I had a really big question about something that I didn't end up writing about. And so I wrote what I wrote about that particular article, and I actually made calls to, like, university professors and media people around the country trying to find out more information. And so yesterday I had a conversation with someone, and they said, well, did you write anything? And I said, no, I didn't write anything because I didn't have any other information on it. So I didn't even push it out as a possibility or anything like that again though, that is a decision that I've made that even though I have an opinion uh, essentially an opinion column, I still treat it like I don't want to have what's happening to Rick Bell happen to me
2: Hmm.
0: yeah right no so I think I think that's yeah. important and you know certainly there's been times where particularly on Twitter for myself I've you know like there's been a post that, validates one of my biases and you know you get excited and you're like oh let's share this and then you realize afterwards that it's wrong and yeah. so it's important and you know I have done this myself where I've said you know what I was wrong or I didn't have all the facts and mm-hmm. so here's why Um but uh, I think it's important to do that and That's what really concerns me, though, is you've got these reputable news organizations, or at least for the time being, who are relying upon non-reputable sources and people that have partisan interests and taking what they're sharing and putting out there as validated fact. And that's problematic.
1: Right. Oh, for sure. And this kind of goes towards what happened with Rick Bell mm-hmm. that we may never hear about. This one we did hear about and uh, you and I went through, I searched Twitter this morning and found that it wasn't really a big deal. Uh, it didn't seem to be picked up very much as yep. far as Twitter commentary on it. And I'm actually kind of shocked because it was a really big deal. So back in April, Conversations removing the emissions cap were going around and what had happened, Emma Graney again, uh, like you've said, you know, she's fair and she's trustworthy, right? She's a trustworthy source. So she had started uh, mentioning that, that the UCP was going to remove the emissions cap. This moved quite a bit within journalistic circles it appears more so than it did anywhere else Um, but Daniel Smith was actually talking about it as well on the 26th of April and what it would mean if the emissions cap was removed on Monday so 27th 28th 29th around the 29th 30th of April uh, Daniel Smith was saying well you know it's not in their platform so this isn't a big deal And that's when things had started to change. So I was looking this morning and what Emma Graney had said was there was a tech briefing for the press. It was a spokesperson on behalf of the UCP. They're the ones that told the press that the UCP was going to remove the emissions cap. And so this is kind of what started it. But what ended up happening was the UCP communications said, you know what, this isn't in our platform. So we don't know why anyone's talking about it. And they put Emma Graney's and anyone else who was in that room. And like I said, I couldn't find anything on Twitter with commentary about it other than hers. still. It really put her integrity on the line. That was something that really bothered me at the time because how, like, how does the media deal with something like that? They were specifically told, this is what, this is what was going to happen. And then they have the government turning around saying, no, we never said that was going to happen. That one really bothered me.
0: Yeah, it's, it's problematic. And it's with social media, politicians have a platform that they're now able to communicate more directly to the masses. And they don't really rely upon media the way that they used to. And for established politicians in particular, this becomes problematic because they're able to manage and manipulate the messaging that they put out. And I know you've seen and observed this where, for example, you've watched Facebook Live streams where there's been communication or messaging that's put out, and then it gets deleted after the fact when it's challenged.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And so, you know what's happened is you've got certain politicians that now are working to discredit the media when the media tries to challenge them on inconsistencies in their stories or their communications. And that furthers that narrative of the media being partisan or being biased, right? And particularly when it's journalists who are reporters that are reporting things as they're said, like Emma Graney is not an editorialist. She's not a, a, an opinion writer. She is a reporter and she is reporting the words right from the politicians mouths. Right. Yeah. That's concerning to me to see, and you saw a lot of this, even Stephen Harper was popping up before the last election saying, you know, if the UCP loses, it's because the media has already decided who they're going to support and who they want to win the election. And if it's not the NDP, they're going to go for the Alberta party, right? It's a little bit of scapegoating for their own, I guess, misinformation or missteps, right?
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: If you can't trust what they're saying, and I, I realize, yes, I'm I'm putting a lot of stock into when politicians speak, but if you can't trust being able to report something and you know have that be generally acknowledged as truth, make sure there's the I misspoke or the you know I I may not have been articulate enough in the way that I phrase that or something like there, there are ways to get around. Okay. You know, I, I shouldn't have said that. There's, there's ways to get around that while still managing to be honest, but we're not seeing that right now. Totally. And that's, that's something that is, that is scary. And what do you do with, with your media in those cases? There are, there are absolutely some great reporters out there. And, Mm -hmm. and some great opinion columnists too. Yeah. That you can, that you can trust whether or not, like, like you said, agree with the opinion or not, but understand that it's coming from a point of, these are all facts.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Right. Here's my opinion. This is what I've done with these facts, right? That's, that's what I do. Here are these facts. This is what I think they mean. You can disagree with my conclusion that they that they actually mean that but I base the entire conclusion, the entire opinion is based on these things being factual.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? So it it's a it's a scary point to be at. Especially like, you know, with with how do you regulate this stuff, which I actually don't think that I finished that Comment when I said I reached out to Warren Kinsella and, and uh, Susan Wright because they're both lawyers uh, because they all blog and I said is there something that we should be doing to either encourage uh, I guess it would be it would be self regulation right now and they were both like yeah that's a great idea well I'm not a lawyer that's why I asked them. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, how, right? Like I yeah. I what would be my next steps here? But but that is something that obviously everyone is starting to take notice of is that there's a lot of people writing, there's a lot of people uh self-publishing, you know, YouTube, blogs, social media. How do you how do you regulate them?
0: Yeah. Well, maybe that's what it is. Is maybe a group of people who have an interest in having fact based reporting and analysis put out there have to come together and do something, whether it's developing a certification or whatever, that hold each other accountable in the absence of government regulation. So, Mm
1: -hmm. and I think that's like that's what I've kind of heard. Like through some of these discussions of how you regulate the internet mm-hmm. um, has kind of been like you know when radio first started uh newspapers and things they didn't have those it, they didn't have the regulations then either yeah. so it it took it took some uh it took some time for people to get used to this is what this is now can we put any um you know, do we need to regulate it? That's the first thing, of course. And I mean, as much as, as much as you think, well, there are people who do care about their personal integrity, and they'll, they'll ensure that they do this. But again, you know, what, uh, what tells somebody else, this is, you know, this is a, an organization, or a person that leans toward factual
0: hmm. Yeah, totally. And then so there's one other kind of on this topic of media integrity that I think undermines legitimate reporters. And it's the one of the CBC's The National hosts, Rosemary Barton, who on Canada Day tweeted out heavy on the legacy pieces from the PM in this Canada Day speech. How many days until the election now? And I know that some of my more left-leaning friends feel that the CBC has really taken this conservative turn, um, which is funny because my right-wing friends think that they're crazy socialists. I think that the real answer (laughs) is probably there's a bit of both in there. But it was just really odd to see somebody, people who are, again, you know, charged as neutral news reporters Weighing in like that, that it does anything to build confidence in our journalism.
1: Mm-hmm. And I'm just going through the, I'm just going through the responses right now, and ah, oh, they're pretty nasty. Yeah. Um, that was out of her, like her account. Um, but it does, but it does mention that she's a journalist on Parliament Hill, and co-host of CBC The National. Um, one of the things, do you remember when, uh, the, I think she was a producer with Global and this was prior to the election, but her anti-Kenny, uh, commentary, she received a rebuke from work and was actually encouraged to take an early retirement.
0: Yeah. Was that, uh, Janet Lore? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, where do you draw the line? Is it a personal uh, bar that we've set for people? If you're a journalist, you have to be you know, nonpartisan, you have to be neutral. We expect that in their writing, but do we honestly expect that from them as an individual?
2: It's you're a, welcome.
0: It, yeah, it's a complex <laughs> question, but here's what I think, is that the as a journalist, as a reporter or somebody who's a producer, if you're going to be critical of government, obviously you're going to expect that the government or politicians may be critical of you in return.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And if you're going to, it's not about even being balanced. It's about being fair. And Hmm where that crosses the line is when you get journalists or producers that start questioning motives and integrity without focusing on policies and without focusing on whether or not that politician is conducting themselves ethically and with integrity. And so, for example, You know, saying Kenny's a scumbag who just wants to hurt children is not a position that I think a journalist, particularly a reporter or an editor, should be taking. Now, to say something to the effect of Kenny promised that he was going to continue the school lunch program and he's cut that and this is going to hurt children, that's a way that you can present in a fact-based, manner and say what you're really meaning while appearing to be fair and balanced. Does that make sense? Okay.
1: No, it does. And yeah, so I think
0: a part of the problem is that with social media and people being able to blog and share opinions, et cetera, et cetera, we've gotten away from the focus on the policy And Mm -hmm. we've shifted to communicating more based upon motivations and character. And that's, for me, where I see some journalists that have crossed the line and have done, in my view, themselves and the role a disservice, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: if that makes sense.
1: No, I would agree. And... Again, that kind of leans back to that self regulation There's a number of things that I can say. It's how I say them. It's how oh. I choose to to present that opinion or that argument, and there are better ways to do it than others. So yeah. you know, I think that people who care will put in the work to do that just just kind of like that conversation that we were having uh the other the other day with Neil um And he was saying, you know, I could have put more thought into some of these things before I said them. I had said that just because of my background in customer services and things like I do, I, I really don't have to police myself hard. But sometimes in difficult conversations, I absolutely do. Because my first response, you know, might have a ton of F-bombs in it for starters. And if You've gone through my Twitter. I I very rarely use them. I draft them often. And, you know, sometimes I am super snarky and you will see those tweets. I've looked at it and I've said, no, this is exactly what I'm trying to portray. Is it self policing? I guess you could say, in a way, it is. But again, people who care will take a moment to do that because it really doesn't take a long time.
0: Given the role that social media has played in the outcome of the u.s election that it's believed it played in the ontario election though can we afford to rely upon people to do that work that and make that distinction
1: yeah of who's doing that Mm -hmm. yeah um of course the answer is no you know the the answer is absolutely no i was I was telling you about that Facebook post about I think 400 new immigrants being housed right now in Brooks to be relocated to the County of Newell. Some of the comments were like, I can't believe this is happening. Uh, Someone said we need to, you know, we should contact Kenny. And I'm like, this is Kenny's idea. Like, Mm -hmm. did you pay attention at all during the election? Like this was coming. He told you this, right? Uh, People that had an issue with that idea of, of, repopulating rural Alberta with um new immigrants to Canada when I listened to Jason Kenney at the stockyards him and Derek Fildebrandt were there it was 2017 I did a live tweet when he mentioned about repopulating or bringing in immigrants to Canada and putting them in rural the entire like the stockyards were full you could have heard a pin drop yeah like it was just it was just immediate silence. And I was like, Ooh, you know, I wasn't shocked. I live out here. Right. (laughs) I, that should have said something to him and I don't think he cares, but yeah, looking at the responses, I mean, people see what they want to see. And, you know, obviously these people who are apparently now affected uh, by this or think they're going to be affected by it had no idea that Mm -hmm. this was a planned policy that this was something that was definitely going to happen. So um, does it matter if, uh, if fake news is shut down because people aren't even paying attention to the real news? No yes.
2: offense. No, you probably true. aren't
1: listening to this podcast anyway. <laughs> does it matter for us? Does it matter for people who are engaged? You know, absolutely. We would love to see less of this fake news and, you know, three-second clips that don't seem to give us all the information. A lot of the mea culpa's that came out of that, uh, Canada Proud, the people that shared that particular portion of the video, they all kind of came out and said, you know, like, I should have known better. You know, I, I promise to be better in the future. So does getting caught work sometimes? It does. You know, for some people, it will make a
0: difference. Mm hmm. Maybe sometimes that is it, is somebody being caught with their pants down enough that, you know, I I think for some people that it's probably diminished their trust and respect for Canada Proud as well.
1: You know, that's kind of what it always comes back to, right, is is, are you a trustworthy source? If Canada Proud loses uh, the ability to have those influencers move their stuff, Right. If Charles Adler is going to think twice and maybe not move their stuff next time, if the if the MPs are going to say, you know what, I don't need this again, then that really hurts Canada Proud. Mm-hmm. So it it basically just kind of comes down to what you're willing to risk, and for some people, it might pay off. Right. Canada Proud might find that they, you know, they've still got enough people that it doesn't matter. But they're a brand, and they're trying to market that brand. And if people that, that are trustworthy won't move their stuff anymore, that will affect them.
0: Totally agree. Well, either way, I think uh, it's going to be something that there's no easy solution for. But I would say that we're going to continue to be asking this question and observing this quite a bit, particularly as we go through the next federal election. So definitely be interesting to see how this all plays out. Absolutely. So on that note, that's probably a good place to wrap up today's podcast. So in our next segment, we're going to talk about Alberta politics and some of the broken promises that have occurred with the new UCP government. What's your title for this segment?
1: The title for the next segment is called No Home Improvement.
0: No Home Improvement. So join us for that soon. Thanks for joining us for this episode. This has been the Political R&D Podcast with Robbie Kriegersmith
1: and Deirdre Mitchell McLean.
0: Where can people find you, Deirdre?
1: They can find me on Twitter at Mitchell underscore AB.
0: And you can find me online at RKS Alberta. The Political RD Podcast is available wherever you get your podcast. And you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Political R&D.
1: Goodbye, Robbie.
0: Goodbye, Deirdre. Music